0: Well, good morning, Desert City. If you want to turn to Mark chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 28 today. This passage is subtitled The Greatest Commandment. It says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. If you had a chance to ask Jesus anything, any question in the world, I wonder what it would be. It might be a silly question like, um, "Why God did you create mosquitoes?" Or you know something like, you know, if Adam and Eve were created by God, did they have belly buttons? You, you know, something like that. Or it might be a different type of question. And, and if you're being honest, it might be you know something you've wrestled with for a long time—a deep question, a question like, "Why is there pain?" And suffering in the world, or why God did you make me the way that I am? If you had a chance, an opportunity to ask a question to Jesus, I wonder what it would be. Because here in this story, we have an account of of this person who is a teacher of the law, and he comes to Jesus, and he has a chance to kind of like ask anything. And here's his question. It's a theological question. It's a question. Uh, that might sound nerdy. It's a question about the law, about the Old Testament, sacred text, the scripture. He says, of all the commandments in the Old Testament, what is the greatest and most important? And it might sound a little bit like, you know, nerd alert type question, but really what he's asking for is what is the purpose of life? What is God's will for me? What should I do with myself? And Jesus's response is Love. Love, and, and it's a love that starts in our inner being. He talks about loving God with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and with our strength, and then loving our neighbor as ourself. Jesus says this is the greatest commandment, love. Everything hinges on this, as he says in other places. But I think it's interesting uh, to, to th- that when Jesus talks about what's the most important thing for us, when it comes to our, our scripture and our commandments and what, what is required of our life, he starts with the inner life. Loving God out of, out of something inside of us, our heart, our soul, our mind. It's this inner, inner transformation, this inner movement. Jesus says there's something inner that has to happen, that has to become right. And this is your will for God to, to love God with this inner being. I think what Jesus is is telling us is that this internal transformation has eternal ramifications. Something about the inner life, the soul, what's going on inside of us. Internal transformation has eternal ramifications. And Jesus starts with the heart. Now, there's a lot to be said of the heart. Uh, there's, there's kind of this understanding of what it is literally, the heart, and what it is figuratively, how we use it in speech today. Science has a lot to say about the heart. It reminds us that the heart, it's this human organ. It's the most important organ in the human body. It's continuously pumping blood uh, around our body through blood vessels. In fact, uh, not only is it pumping blood, but it's pumping life-sustaining blood via a 60,000-mile-long network network of blood vessels. That's insane to think you have that much uh, bloods, blood vessels, veins inside of you that your heart is pumping blood through. That's a lot of work. The organ works ceaselessly, this heart beating 100,000 times a day or 40 million times a year, clocking up to 3 billion heartbeats over the average lifetime. It keeps the body refreshingly supplied with oxygen, oxygen nutrients, while clearing away harmful waste. So the heart is something that we understand is absolutely essential, the most important organ to the body. Even in the time of Jesus, they understood this. They understood that this was this, the the engine room for the body. So when we talk about it, you know, literally what we understand is the heart is something that's important. And when it comes to loving God, Jesus is saying the most important organ in your body needs to be loving, loving God with all of it. But then you also think about this figurative language that we have, like, I can love something with all my heart. I can follow my heart. In fact, in our culture today, you might say that following your heart has become kind of like the the most noble thing that you can do. Like, the, the heart is like our compass for life. Like, whatever your heart feels or whatever your heart's telling you, that's what you should act upon. Like, it's pretty much summed up in uh, these, these uh, poetic words from the, 19, the late 1980s Swedish pop duo rock set. Listen to what they say about the heart. They say, listen to your heart for its calling for you. Listen to your heart. There's nothing else you can do. There's nothing else you can do. I don't know where you're going, and I don't know why, but listen to your heart before I tell him goodbye. So we have this figurative language about the heart, and and it's like the heart is kind of like the compass for our body. So we will foolishly follow whatever our heart says because in our kind of pursuit for individual happiness and freedom, it's all about what your heart wants. Uh, Think of Selena Gomez's great hit back in 2014. Here's the words that she says about the heart. Save your advice, because I don't want to hear. You might be right, but I don't care. There's a million reasons why I should give you up, but the heart wants what it wants, baby. The heart wants what it wants. There's this figurative language about the heart. In in our culture, it's almost like the heart trumps everything. Whatever your heart wants, that's what you should have. So you have kind of literal language about the heart, the most important organ in the body, you have figurative language about the heart as kind of like the the compass for your desires and your path. Scripture had this understanding too, both, both literal and figurative language when it speaks of the heart. But what scripture talks about when it talks about the heart is that there's both wisdom and foolishness here as we follow our heart. There's something that is good, but there's also something that can be absolutely corrupted in the heart. Understanding kind of the the, the literal language of the heart. In Greek, it's it's the Greek word cardia, where we get the word cardio. I don't know if you're like me, um, miss, miss going and, and using like the cardio machines at the gym, but cardio, that's where we get this idea. It's this Greek cardia which means heart, literal, the literal organ that's the most important organ of your body. In Hebrew it's the word lev. Um, and, and it was kind of this understanding that that for life uh, that that it occupies the most important um, place in the human system. Even the ancients knew this about the heart, but, but by an easy transition and the Bible project has great, great information about kind of this and uh, th- that it transitions to this figurative word that, uh, that in heart throughout scripture, uh, it, it speaks of the, the hidden springs of a personal life. Like life flows from this hidden spring inside of you, which is your heart. Scripture describes human depravity as as something that also starts from the spring. It comes from inside of you, from the heart, because sin is a principle which has a seat in the center of man's inward life. The heart is also this sphere of divine influence. God gets a hold of our heart, what we find in Scripture. It talks about it being the seat, a seat, a place where something sits on, and it's the seat of moral nature and spiritual life. It's the seat of grief and joy it's the seat of our thoughts and our understanding how we comprehend the world around us our reasoning powers it's the seat of our imagination and our conscience it's uh, the seat of our intentions and our purpose and our will it's the seat of faith for 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 the writers of scripture the heart was more than just this important organ that pumped life uh, through our body and it was more than just this compass that, that that we follow to understand what we truly want the heart represents so much more. It's, it's the center of who we are. And there's something uh, about that, that that could be a really good thing and a really bad thing depending on the condition of our heart. And Jesus talks about what is the most important thing is to love God with all of your heart. That, that the, all of your inmost being, to have that dedicated to loving God. Because the internal transformation leads to eternal ramifications. But Jesus would also say that internal faithfulness shapes external fruitfulness. So not only does this have like eternal ramifications why he's saying this is the greatest thing inside of you because when your heart is aligned with God, you, you experience life that is eternal. He's also saying when, when you have this faithfulness to God and loving God with all of your heart, that produces fruit in your life. Luke chapter six, verse five, it says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. and An evil man <laughs> brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Jesus is saying that this, this faithfulness internally leads and it produces the, the external around us. So our relationships, our relationships are affected by the condition of our heart. Our homes are affected by the condition of our heart, our work, our job, the way we interact with others around us, all of that is affected by the condition of our heart. And I think that's a little bit different thinking than usually what we think is like our circumstances. That's what affects us. That affects our mood. That's what affects kind of like where our heart is at. And what Jesus is saying, no, it's actually quite the opposite. And that is why this is the greatest commandment. And this is why that it's so important is that the healthy heart is where goodness grows. The healthy heart, the heart that is, that is in line with what God wants, that's where the goodness grows. And a heart gets healthy when it's loving God. Jesus says a heart gets healthy when it's loving God. This is the greatest thing that we can do is to love God with all of our inmost being. Augustine, who I, I quote often, he's a, uh, an author, uh, a fascinating thinker, a pastor from like the fourth century in North Africa. And, and last year I read through his book, Confessions. And so he's like fresh on my mind all the time. So I keep quoting him uh, in my sermons. Um, but, but he's this, uh, th- this great thinker, this intellectual, um, super successful, uh, creates great wealth, gets to experience kind of like everything life has to offer. And he finds that every single thing in this life, nothing leaves him fulfilled. And he gets to this place where God kind of gets a hold of his heart and he realizes he's tried this and that and he's been disappointed by this and that. And the one thing where he's actually found fulfillment is in in, in being his heart connected with God. In his book, Confessions, he writes this famous quote where he says, uh, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord. Thou hast made us for thyself and our heart is restless until it rests in thee. He had this understanding that our heart was created by God, created to be connected with God. And when it's not connected, we become restless, disappointed, unhealthy. Uh, It's pool season again. Last week, Phoenix hit what, like 103, 105? 105? Uh, my kids have been swimming for like a month and a half now. I was able to jump in the pool last week and it felt great. It was refreshing. And so went to the store, bought some new pool toys, got some pool noodles, you know, beach balls. Uh, the, you know, it's gonna be the next three months of our life is just swimming in the pool. But one thing's fascinating about floating uh, like noodles or beach balls. And, and I, I, I do this all the time. I love to like have like three or four noodles under me and I just kind of like float in the pool and let, let the noodles hold me up. Um, but, but if you've ever had like a beach ball, this is probably a strange thing. I love to try to like sit on a beach ball in my pool, see if I can like balance on it. And a beach ball full of oxygen, you, what you notice is that when you pull it under the water, the, the beach ball has this unbelievable force that tries to pull itself back out of the water. And it's just, you know, this light beach ball that has, like, no weight to it. But as soon as you put it under the water, it's almost like the beach ball becomes alive. It takes on an energy of its own, and it starts to struggle. It, but but it's, it's not alive. It's a ball. But at the same time, it feels like it's alive, and it's, it's like, fighting you to get back to the surface. It's unsettled. Uh, it's almost like the beach ball starts to panic. And if you sit on it and you put your weight on it, you realize that the beach ball has the power to just flip you off of it, to get back to the surface. It's like it's, it's, it's longing to get back to the surface. When you think about it, the beach ball is full of oxygen, and it's not meant to be underwater. And is, when it goes underwater, it's almost like the beach ball becomes restless. When Augustine is talking about our heart, what our heart was made of, made for, and filled with. I, I start to think of this idea of the beach ball. Like we were created to be on top of the water, to be connected with God, to rise. And, and when you take the beach ball and you pull it under the water, it's almost like you're taking, you're taking your heart and you're pulling it away from God to a place where it suffocates. And when it's not connected with God and when it's not loving God, what you find is that something inside of your heart starts to panic, or become restless, or gets left unfulfilled and it starts to squirm. And all of these different things that that we try to fill our hearts with, that our hearts pursue, that our hearts try to love, in the end what we find is they all leave us restless and panicky and troubled and disappointed because we long to come back to the surface. We've been created by God for the purpose of being connected with God relationally, and until we can rise to the surface, till we find that connection, we never are right and at peace with ourselves. We live in this world full of disappointment, and Jesus knows this, and this is why this greatest commandment, he's saying your inmost being to have that, to love God with everything that you are, to love God with all of your heart, because when you do that, what you will find is true fulfillment. And that internal transformation, when that heart is given to God, not only has eternal ramifications, it connects you with life eternal eternally. But but that internal faithfulness of, of loving God produces this external fruit in your life. This is why Proverbs 4 says, Above all else, guard your heart because everything flows from it. Now here's the thing: when we love God with all of our hearts. Our heart is healthy. What we find is that, that it changes something inside of us as well. There's, there's kind of three things that you'll notice as you, as you love God with all your heart, as you pursue God, as, as your inmost being is, is given to him. What you'll find is that here's three things that change. Your desires, your desires change, your affections and your feelings. Your desires, your affections, and your feelings. Your desires are conformed to what God wants. The psalmist reminds us to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When we when we spend time loving God, delighting in him, he connects our desires with his desires, which are the true desires of your heart. Over Lent, uh, I, I did a number of fasts where you know, I didn't have um, coffee. I didn't have the additional, the, uh, um, didn't have Coke at all or soda, depending on what part of the country you're from. Um, steered away from um, the occasional adult beverage and sugar and dairy. Didn't go have any of these things. And at first, what I found was like my body was like in shock. Like I, I was having these terrible headaches because I wanted coffee. And I just, I really wanted soda. I missed you know, the carbonation, how that feels when it hits my stomach. And uh, what I've noticed, though, is after not having soda for, like, 40 days, uh, when you try to drink soda again, it tastes terrible. It almost, like, burns your mouth, and it makes you feel terrible. You can't even get through a whole Coke. In fact, today, I was trying to drink one because I had an upset stomach, and I was like, oh, I'll have a Coke. I had, like, three sips of it, and I had to throw it away. It's almost like my, my desire and my taste changed over time. And in a strange way, I think the same thing happens spiritually when we love God. The things that are really healthy, that our heart really longs for, our our desires start to be conformed into what God wants. And these things that are probably unhealthy are gonna rot our teeth, are things that we no longer desire. And then this idea that your your affections, you start to love the things that God loves. And God loves people, and God loves the vulnerable. God loves, uh, God loves us, God loves others, God loves sinners, God loves all of humanity. He has this desire, he loves us so much that he would give his life for us. And what we find is that our affections are starting, as, as we love God with all of our heart, our affections start to conform to his affections for others. We start to see people differently, we hear people that we've never heard before. We have affections for the things that God has affection for. And then finally, our feelings change. Uh, we, we are emotional people, we're emotional creatures, and we, we feel things. But as we love God with all of our heart, what we find is we start to feel the things and we start to hurt for the things that God hurts for. Heard one person, a wise person say, that our hearts will break for the things that break the heart of God. And although we don't like feeling pain, that's a good thing when we, when we hurt and we ache for the things that make God hurt and ache because that leads us to a place of compassion. Compassion uh, throughout the New Testament and in the life of Jesus, they talked about it. Compassion was almost like your bowels hurt. There's something like your stomach is aching and that ache always leads to action. And when we love God with all of our heart, the reason we produce produce a fruitful life is that we start to ache for the things that he aches for in this world. And that always leads us to action, to love God with all of our heart. I wanna close with this story. And it's a story that um, I've told before and many of you have heard it before, but it's a good story. And so I wanna close with it. We, uh, our men's group, one of our men's groups going through a Mark Batterson book. Mark Batterson is his pastor back in Washington, D.C. I I really like his writings um, and and came across a story a while back where he talks about when, you know, being in Washington, D.C., he had the opportunity to go to a national prayer breakfast. And at this national prayer breakfast, uh, this was years ago, uh, there was a a heart surgeon that was there. And he was speaking at the national prayer breakfast. And he started to kind of tell the story of, of the process of going into surgery, a heart heart surgery, there's so much kind of unknown and mystery around it, and, and kind of went through like the medical procedure of what happens with a heart surgery. And, and he said when he was kind of telling the story of the heart surgery, he got to this place where he talks about like once the heart gets put into the new, into the new body, um, the heart gets placed into the new body. There's this moment where everyone's kind of waiting to see if the heart will start to beat. And he says, like when he starts to tell this story and he gets to this point in the story of describing the heart transplant, he stops speaking in medical terms and he starts to speak in spiritual terms. And he starts to talk about the mystery of life when a new heart takes to a new body and that new heart starts pumping in that new body. Batterson says that it was just absolutely fascinating story, and it kind of led him to do some more research on the idea of, of, what, kind of what happens with like, this heart transplant. Um, and he, he came across this book written by Charles Siebert um, that's called A Man uh, After His Own Heart. And it's about this, uh, this, this person that was observing heart transplants in New York at the New York Presbyterian Hospital. You know, not long after observing uh, transplants, this person went to a banquet um, to, to hear uh, transplant recipients talk about uh, their experience and how they were deeply moved and profoundly grateful to receive a heart, a new heart from someone else. They were profoundly grateful because they thought their life was over and they were given a second chance at life. And yet also at the same time, they were profoundly grateful because they felt this deep connection to the families uh, of, of the, heart, the where the heart came from, This this profound connection to those families. And then they they described their experience of getting a new heart. And, And many of them talked about not only did they get a new heart, but they had this strange experience of getting new desires that accompanied this new heart. And it wasn't just something that happens like physically. There's this metaphysical experience where some of the habits and the desires of the person that gives you the heart, that donates the heart, you take those on because there's this metaphysical transaction that takes place. And these heart transplant recipients were talking about these new urges and these new desires and these new habits that they never had. And all of a sudden, with this new heart, it was almost like it soaked into their body. Fascinating, this metaphysical experience. Uh, Siebert calls this group the heart of the transplants. And it's something that only people who have received a heart transplant understand, that their body is not the same now that they have a new heart. There's different urges. there's different desires. There's different habits. Patterson says this, Mark Batterson talking about kind of, kind of hearing these stories about heart transplants. He says, this is what's a fascinating thing is. When you give your hearts to Jesus, he says this in his book, when you give your hearts to Christ, Christ gives you his heart as well. Christ gives his heart to you and you become part of the tribe of the transplanted. The new heart gives you a new appreciation for life and you humbly acknowledge your responsibility to honor the donor. And the cellular memories that come with that transplanted heart give you whole sensory responses, cravings, and habits. You literally feel different. Why? Because you feel what Christ feels. When you love God with all of your heart, that can only happen when you have surrendered your heart to Jesus. You've allowed Christ to become Lord of your heart. You've allowed Christ to come in and inhabit your heart. And what Jesus says is he doesn't just leave your heart as he finds it, he transforms it. He gives you a new heart, he gives you his heart. And this is where life is found. And I don't know where, what the condition of your heart is today, but Jesus tells us the most important thing that we can do is to love God with all of our heart. And maybe, maybe today you need to make a decision to say, I my heart's in such a terrible condition. I, I almost just need a heart transplant. I need to come in and say, God, I just, I need a new heart. I need you to come in and do some significant work in me. Maybe you have this relationship with God, but you realize that, that he's not the complete Lord of your heart. You're not loving him with all of your heart. And you're, you're experiencing kind of the panic of, uh, the, the, the beach ball underwater, the, the, the panic of trying to get out because you long for something more. And today you say, you say Lord, I, I want you to have all of it. I want to worship you with all of my heart and experience life that is truly life that you offer. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what the condition of your heart is. But inside the heart is where the goodness grows. Inside the heart In the inner condition, transformation leads to us producing fruit in this world and experiencing life eternal. Maybe today you say, Lord, you have my heart. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this passage and this question. This is an expert in the law, and he's coming to you, and who knows his motives, but his question is a a theology question. It's a question of, of what is your will for our life? Lord, and your answer feels so simple at the surface that, that you say to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and yet it's a profound answer. Lord, and it's an answer that um, we need to wrestle with. If this is the greatest commandment, Lord, we need to ask what does this mean for me here and now to love you with all of my heart. And Lord, I just pray that you would stir our hearts to you today, that you would reveal to us what we need to do. Lord, that you would transform us to have your heart for this world, for others. So we give you this time. We ask that you would transform us internally so the goodness can grow. Amen.